and welcome to this week's episode of Seen and Heard, Industry Updates for the Modern Dairy Family. I'm Melissa Lima, your North Coast and Organic Field Services Rep with this week's episode as we work through another week of vacations and time off here at Western United Dairies. Today we're bringing you a market update with Tiffany LaMandola, our economist of Flimling & Associates. Paul Souza joins us to discuss an update from the Central Valley Regional Water Board, and I had a chance to sit down with Devin Gialetti, Western United Dairies Board President, to chat about his recent op-ed in our weekly update and what the ARB issue means for the California dairy industry. Before we jump into today's episode, we want to share with you the commercial ad spot that our partnership with California Cattle Council has made possible. This ad is airing on 29 distinct radio broadcast stations throughout Central and Southern California over the next few weeks, including eight Spanish language stations. We'll be bringing it to you every week through the end of August, and we hope you enjoy it. Without further ado, let's roll right into that ad spot and today's episode. With our state facing a record drought, California's dairy families are meeting the challenge of getting the most out of every drop of water. According to UC researchers, California's dairy families will use 25% less water this year than last year. Over the past two decades, 50% less. How do we do it? Resilience, innovation, technology. In fact, when it comes to water conservation, California dairy families lead the world. We're using recycled water, ensuring sustainability. We're irrigating our farmland more efficiently, doing more with less. And nearly half of what we feed our animals comes from nutritious, natural crop byproducts, which require no additional water at all. Dairy Families and the California Cattle Council are doing our part. We'll continue to feed California sustainably and using our water efficiently. Hey folks, hope you had a great week. We saw some USDA uh, Section 32 money flowing this week with multiple solicitations uh, to buy both fluid milk and cheese for fourth quarter delivery. Um, looks like about 55 million pounds of fluid milk and a little over 2 million pounds of uh, cheddar cheese. Uh, by our math, USDA still has about 54 million to spend on dairy purchases for the fourth quarter. So we expect some uh, continuation of, of these announcements in the weeks ahead. Move over to the individual dairy markets. Uh, we saw the ninth consecutive day of blocks holding steady at $1.6350. Super quiet, quiet market there. Um, however, not the same situation in barrels. They've been every, anything but steady. Uh, we saw another decline this week down to $1.38, down $0.08 cents, uh, week over week. Why the big discrepancy? Uh, anecdotal reports continue to suggest that we're seeing some um, additional barrel supply as some manufacturers facing those 640-pound uh, block packaging shortage, shortages uh, shifted their production over to barrels. Um, some of that extra product seems to be making its way to Chicago. Uh, on the other side, block supply and demand appears to be pretty balanced right now. Uh, Midwest cheesemakers still have access to plenty of uh, extra milk. Discounts weren't quite as steep this week. Uh, USDA reports that uh, milk can be purchased at $3 uh, under class on average. That's still a bargain, though, compared to the five-year average for this time of year at uh, $0.33 cents under class. Reports suggest milk supply in the West and, uh, and also definitely the Pacific Northwest seem to be under a little bit of seasonal pressure 
um, with heat uh, in both regions, particularly in the Pacific Northwest where folks are not equipped to handle uh, the soaring conditions. We, we did get a couple reports this week on dairy production and uh, June showed cheese output up just slightly year over year growth centered around expansion in American type cheese production with output up 5.1% uh, year over year on the back of new capacity. Not much has changed on the demand side of the equation in terms of retail uh, scanner data. Uh, cheddar cheese or cheese consumption still running about 10% above 2019 levels. Reports suggest food service demand is still holding up pretty well also, but there are some more looming concerns around uh, whether we'll see some upcoming um, stricter, uh, you know, restrictions on, on uh, eating indoors and such. U.S. exports uh, data also got dropped this week. Uh, in June, we we saw uh, cheddar cheese exports up 9% from May, um, but we did not top last year's um, record of uh, 85 million pounds. Moving over to butter, um, we did see some pretty big ups and downs in that market. Uh, inevitably, we closed unchanged at $1.6425. We did produce a lot of butter in June, up 7.8% year over year. And California accounted for 35% of total U.S. output. We were up 12% year over year on, on production. Uh, demand at retail continues to point uh, pretty consistent for butter as well, up 5 to 10% ahead of 2019 levels. We also had a global dairy trade event this week, and uh, the overall index fell 1% mostly on the back of an unanticipated weakness in the whole milk powder contract. It weighed on our markets here a bit. Uh, we saw nonfat dry milk lose another uh, 1.25 cents, closing at $1.2550. We saw a lot of milk make its way to dryers in June with output of uh, powders up 1.2%. And we also saw nonfat manufacturing stocks grow up to 350 million pounds. That's up 24% year over year and the most in storage for any month going back to April of 2020. We saw good exports of powders though in June, up 7% year over year. Sales to Mexico still doing pretty good, up 28%. Finally, in the dry weigh market, we saw a, a big slump early on in the week, uh, but a recovery back uh, by weekend. We are seeing a little lighter exports in June, 2% um, below year-over-year -year levels and the smallest volume going back to December 2020. Um, seems to be a little less demand out of China, down 2% year-over-year. Finishing off with the grain markets, things were pretty quiet um, with December corn really trading in a very tight range, um, kind of right around that uh, kind of 550 level. Uh, weather continues to dominate those headlines with disappointing rainfall potential for key production regions keeping kind of the bulls fed this week. USDA announced corn crop conditions uh, continuing to fall below prior year levels for the week ending uh, uh, August 1st. We were at 62% of the corn crop in good or excellent condition. That's a two-point drop from last week and down 10 points below the five-year average. 
Have a fantastic week. Hi, I'm Jessica with PG&E. 811 is a free service to keep our community safe. Before you do any digging, PG&E will mark your gas and electric lines so you don't hit them. Call 811 before you dig. To learn more, visit pg.com/safety. We would like to welcome back to the show Paul Souza, our Director of Environmental Affairs here at Western United Dairies. Hey Paul, thanks for joining us on this August morning. Sure, it's good to be here, Melissa. Thank you for having me once again. Uh, always happy to share information with our members and uh, keep them up to speed on what's going on. Yeah, we're always glad to have you, Paul, and these are always great updates for members. Today, it's um, pretty specific to folks in the Central Valley. In fact, um, not just the Central Valley, but Regional Board 5 for the Water Board. Um, dairies have been regulated under a Water Board program for probably close to 15 years now, maybe even more if I'm counting wrong. Um, but there's a little bit of um, kind of an odd thing happening, Paul, and, and I'll let you explain it a little more in detail, but right now the dairy program is kind of um, being asked to provide some information to actually help with a different program that they have, that they're running, their irrigated lands program. So can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, sure. And before I go there, I actually want to talk about, you know, our connection and our uh, help for our members, and this applies to both you and I, Melissa, um, you know, in our jobs, we have a lot of communication with the regional boards. I know you do with region one and two, um, and I do with region five. And so, you know, we help our members both in, uh, you know, being able to bring information to our members about, hey, what's happening at the regional board or what's the next thing that's coming down the pike. Uh, but also we can advocate for our members, you know, to push back on, you know, if they come up with something and it's very um, there's a lot of, you know, work or, you know, bureaucracy to it. We can like, hey, can you guys do that in a more streamlined way? We get what you're trying to do. We support water quality. But, you know, maybe there's a way that uh, they can get the information they need in um, a less uh, onerous way for our dairy producer members. And so that's what this is about. I, I kind of wanted to, you know, do that and talk about that. Um, I know you do a lot for your members on the North Coast, uh, like I said, in the North Coast region and in the San Francisco Bay region, a lot of um, you know, helping in communications with the regional board and helping to smooth um, that, uh, you know, connection. Uh, and I do the same thing in the Central Valley in a little bit different way because we don't do uh, the consulting and filling out annual reports directly, but uh, still engage a lot with the, with the regional board. I don't know if you have any thoughts on, um, you know, that issue and helping our members. Yeah, I just want to like emphasize, we really try to have a good working relationship. And I would go as far as saying a partnership with the regional board. We believe that water quality is a partnership between regulators, industry, and dairy producers. And I think our dairymen really feel that way too. Um, so I think, um, I think it's really important that we, you know, continue to foster that relationship and just it is, it makes things like this situation we're about to talk about much easier to deal with. So something comes up, the regional board knows that they can reach out to us in good faith and we can often help solve or correct or fill in information where it's missing without a big regulatory push, which is what maybe they are about to do. Yeah, exactly. No, and I, so I wanted to, you know, definitely get that dynamic out there for our members and for those sure. that are not members that might be happening to, to be listening, uh, you know, about what Western does uh, and how we help out the dairy industry in California. And in fact, uh, it's interesting. Uh, it's not just our members because it's every dairy. You know, if you negotiate something on uh, the North Coast region and make um, a requirement a little bit less onerous, every dairy that's covered by the regional board in that region uh, sees that benefit. And so uh, it's one of those, you know, kind of, 
yeah, riding the coattails thing. Some folks are riding the coattails, but uh, we really are helping all dairies um, in all regions of California uh, when we, you know, are able to uh, improve a regulation or make it a little bit smoother or a little bit less onerous. Definitely. And, so after all that, Paul, there's the, I yeah. know there's suspense out there. This isn't something extremely crazy. It just seems like it might be a lot of work. So maybe yeah. talk a little bit about what Region 5 is up to these days. Yeah, sure. So um, as part of our regular communications with them, they brought up the fact that they have an issue with their irrigated lands regulatory program, um, which in the Central Valley, the Water Board regulates all irrigated agriculture. They have to be part of uh, an irrigated lands coalition. But they're finding that there's a lot of parcels that are not um, regulated by the irrigated lands regulatory program. And they've been cross-checking those parcels with dairy and bovine regulated facilities um, and you know that helps fill out a little bit more of those parcels but there's still some parcels that are not covered in any of those programs and they're trying to get a handle on um, you know who are those folks and, and trying to get them into the program right and so you know that's what this is about and and I, I understand um, you know I, I get where they're coming from but it's you know how they're thinking about handling this um, I've been on calls with the regional board where they said, you know, some a lot of these parcels are like 20 acres and less. We don't think a lot of them are dairy, but we're thinking about going through this process to catch any uh, dairy related parcels. And so what they're doing is um, they're looking for dairies to include all of the parcels that they control, either in the dairy and through their annual report, report those parcels in the dairy annual report or sign up for the irrigated lands program. Um, and in the past, they've had this deal where they've allowed land that is not getting manure uh, to not be fully in the annual report. They actually have wanted those parcels all of the time, but they've allowed you not to put in um, you know, fertilizer applications on land that doesn't get manure. And they're actually wanting to reverse that uh, with this directive also. They're wanting to, do, to include those in your nutrient management plan and the fertilizer application because the folks in the irrigated lands have to do that. If you have a dairy parcel that doesn't get manure, it's kind of falling through the cracks on that. Yeah, so, that's a hard one. We have that as well up here. It sets an interesting precedent because a lot of times folks will have a, a place where they grow feed or it's just a field that they don't have animals or spread manure on, but they use it for some other purpose. And so it, there's a catch-22 there. Like if they're not having a, a potential water quality issue, you know, they may question why they have to include it or why they would have to do the extra work to inform the water board. So that's kind of a hard yeah. one. Yeah, that's, but that is something that the water board is looking for. And the folks in the irrigated lands program, um, you know, you might be organic, uh, you might be growing alfalfa and not putting fertilizer. You have to be in the irrigated lands program. So um, yeah. that's kind of a tough argument to make yeah. to say, I'm a dairy farmer, I'm growing alfalfa. I'm not putting, you know, any nitrogen fertilizer on it. So I shouldn't be, um, in the program. And then for the water board, it also messes up their books that they don't know, you know, is that parcel, is it supposed to be in the irrigated lands program? It's supposed to be in the dairy program, or is it somebody that's just totally skipping the regulation? Um, so th that's the issue that they're dealing with. Interesting. Well, the good news is this probably won't for our dairy producers that want to enroll any outstanding parcels in their program. It doesn't change anything for them really. Um, especially if it's not a, an area where they're using manure nutrients so that's the good news the bad news is it's going to take a little work they're going to have to go through their books and make sure everything is up to date 
Exactly. Uh, the waterboard is grappling with how to handle this. So um, their thought right now is to send out a separate directive under uh, a legal section of the Water Code 13267 that gives the water board the authority to request uh, information and reports. It's just, you know, it's a big to do. Um, and, you know, we've had a conversation with the water board on a conference call, and I was pushing for a more efficient way. I get what they need. Uh, but, you know, sending out a letter to 1,100 dairy producers uh, that's very legal, you know, you must comply with this notice, and it's seven pages long, um, it, it just seems overkill for what we're talking about. Like you said, Melissa, it, you know, it's something you can solve. It's not the end of the world. Let's not send out a seven-page legal notice to every dairy and create, you know, an uproar of, you know, what's, what's this, what's going on? Uh, let's do it in a more efficient way. Well, and you and I both know that, it, first of all, what a waste of paper and postage, yeah. but you and I both know when a dairy gets a letter from the water board, it immediately sends your blood pressure through the roof. I, yeah. I get it all the time. And a lot of times it's a simple, here's your letter of enrollment we forgot to send you, or here's a quick reminder that your annual reports are due. But when they see that, regional water board letterhead and return address label, it kind of makes your heart race a little. So while this isn't something that means anybody's in trouble, it does increase the stress level quite a bit. Yeah. And in the Central Valley, as you noted, you know, on the North Coast, that gets handed to you. You know, if the water board sends out a letter like that, yeah. you know about it because your members turn to you. In the Central Valley, they're going to turn to their environmental consultants yeah. and overwhelm you know, you know, yeah. if a consultant has a hundred clients, all of a sudden a hundred of his clients are calling and saying, Hey, I got this letter from the water board. What's wrong? What did you yeah. do? Uh, take care of this for me. And the consultant is feeling, you know, uh, whoa. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that was part of our feedback. The water board said, you know, Hey, this isn't a problem. It should take each dairy, you know, 15 minutes to respond. But our thought was, but if a hundred of them hand them to the same consultant, yeah. uh, it's, you know, it's no longer 15 minutes per dairy that it doesn't seem like a big deal to the water board. It, you know, you really have burdened, uh, you know, a couple of individuals with all of this work. Yes, absolutely. It's a lot. So hopefully uh, they can find a more efficient way or we can work with them to have a more efficient means of gathering this information. Um, maybe more on an individual basis than spreading yep. postage and dead trees out across the valley. But um, I just, I, I do think like we get it, we get the significance and the importance of this. It's just one of those things where it's a little bit of a head scratcher and we want our members to know if you get something that looks ominous, seven pages in an envelope is a lot too. Like when you get a big letter like that, it's usually not a, a happy greeting. So if you do get something like that in the mail from the water board, take a deep breath. Um, we can easily help you solve it. Your consultant can help you solve it. And it's not an emergency situation. It's just um, looking for supplemental information that the water board doesn't have and, and needs to be in compliance with their you know own regulations. Yep, exactly. Yeah, that was well put. Um, so I think the thing to do, you know, one, I want members to be aware if this letter ends up going out, there's no sign that it will go out as it is. I, I hope they listen to us and that they, um, you know, change this and make this a little bit smoother. Um, but I do encourage dairy producers uh, as they're preparing their next annual report to make sure that they've covered all those parcels. Maybe you've got some almond trees um, that has not been in the irrigated lands or in the dairy yeah. program, or you've got some an alfalfa field that you don't apply manure to um, that you haven't been including in your dairy annual report. Um, you know, think about that stuff and make sure you've covered it either through uh, your dairy um, annual report, your bovine annual report, if it's a heifer ranch or something like that, yeah. or in the irrigated lands program, like if it's almonds and you don't apply manure to it, 
maybe you do sign up for the irrigated lands program. Just, you know, I think producers should be working towards that direction. And then they also, uh, you know, are now aware if they get this letter, hopefully it takes some of that stress you were talking about, Melissa, and like, oh yeah, I heard Paul and Melissa talking yes, about this. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's no big deal. I know. I just think about a seven, if I get an envelope that's thick enough to have seven pages in it, I'm probably <laughs> a little nervous. And I think, I think rightly so. So um, hopefully these guys, you know, get the information, what's coming or what may be coming isn't bad. You're not in trouble necessarily. It's just asking for information. It looks ominous. And when in doubt, always reach out to us and ask. We are happy to help with this in any way we can. If you have a parcel you're not sure about, we can connect with the water board and see where it's at or if it's enrolled and if we need to get it enrolled. And these guys, when big things like this go out, it seems like a machine, right? But they're actually very reasonable people most of the time that we work with. So we we can make this as smooth as possible, hopefully. Yep. Yeah, no, I would agree. Um, and it, it is about connecting with them. You know, when you connect with them as often as you and I do, Melissa, you know, they are real people. Um, sometimes they hide behind, you know, some of those legal documents, like we just talked about a seven page letter that you know, sounds like it was written by lawyers, but when you call them and talk to them, um, a lot of times you get a more reasonable um, response, especially if they know, you know, know you and, um, you know, and we work with them regularly. So um, thank you for having me on. And I, I'm glad sure. for the opportunity to share, you know, with our members and, and uh, make them aware of something that may be coming up. Absolutely. And before we let you go, Paul, um, we're going to share an article written by Dr. Meyer um, from UC Davis in our update next week. But just a quick reminder, inspections from the water board, while we're talking about the water board, have been on the uptick lately um, as COVID sort of, as we reopened in June, inspectors were more able to get back out there. I have nine inspections slated on the North Coast next week up in Ferndale, and we do know that inspectors are out there. So um, just a quick reminder, we'll have a little more information in the update, but please always reach out to us or your consultant about that too. We're here to help you, yep. and it's nothing to be scared about. I actually like it when they inspect this time of year. It's a lot better yeah. than when they're here in January. So yeah, and uh, so the Central Valley Water Board um, during you know the lockdown, they were still doing some inspections, but they were doing a lot less. But they were not going in any buildings or inspecting any paperwork. They were just you know outdoors, um, you know, kind of uh, you know driving or, or walking through the facility, keeping their distance from folks. And so um, you know that's the way it's been, and it's still that way. But they are that's part of our conversations also is that they are preparing to move back into full inspections where they do review uh, documentation. And so uh, that's coming also. Uh, looks like they're kind of preparing for how that's going to go. Yep. I think we're moving in that direction too. And well, we're all still taking the precautions necessary, especially with what's currently going on with the Delta variant. We, we do think, um, and I've noticed it not just with waterboard, organic inspections have been happening um, and all kinds of different things. All kinds of folks from the government have been out and about looking at our dairy. So we're just um, being as cautious as possible, but letting folks know that we are here for that when you are when you need us to be. Yep. Yeah. Give us a call, either Melissa or myself or Darby, um, and uh, we'd be happy to help you with any issues you've got. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Paul, for joining us today. We'll hopefully uh, let you get back out into the sunshine, and um, we will talk to you again soon. Yep. Thanks, Melissa. Yosemite Farm Credit is the farmer's choice for agriculture financing. As a farmer-owned cooperative, we are dedicated to serving our neighbors in the agriculture community 
with financial products and services tailored to your operation and backed with the relationship you can trust. Whether you're purchasing real estate, making improvements to the dairy, or wanting to purchase or lease equipment, we're here to help our members prosper. Visit our website at YosemiteFarmCredit.com to find a branch location nearest you. We are so glad to have Devin Gialetti, Western United Dairies Board President, back with us on Scene and Heard today. Thanks for joining us, Devin. No problem. How's everybody doing? Good to good to have you. Hopefully it's a little cooler in the Valley this week than the last time we talked. I think you guys were hitting 110 last time. Yeah, I know. It feels good right now. Good, good. Well, Devin, we asked you to be here today because you had an article, um, an op-ed, as so to speak, in our update this week about all the things that have been going on with the ARB and um, their perceived interest in regulating enteric methane emissions. So I'm going to let you tell us a little bit about um, kind of where, where our board stands on that and where you specifically stand on it. Yeah, thanks, Melissa. It's, it's an important topic and, and uh, things are really coming to the head uh, as of late. So it's overall, I think the board is concerned that we think that the average dairyman doesn't understand what's going on and um, how we need to get these, you know, we need to get educated about what's going on and how, because we still have time to, to fix this. Um, if CARB gets their way, you know, we're going to have a third regulator on our dairies, uh, while the air board, the water board and, and ARB um, regulating us. And, but, but we think there's time to stop this. So I was going to do a quick recap for any of the members who aren't sure what's going on. But um, in 2016, um, there was a bill called 1383 that passed that required uh, the dairy industry to to uh, reduce our methane emissions uh, from our manure by 40% by the year 2030. Now, during that time, we negotiated hard. And um, at the time, it was supposed to be a, a, a total industry reduction of 40% of right. methane production, including enteric, um, which is cow burps, and then including the manure, which is, uh, you know, obviously from our lagoons mostly. So during that process, we were able to um, uh, negotiate, uh, basically eliminate the enteric side of it. Um, and only regulate us on the methane side. And, and for that, we did not oppose 1383. We actually went neutral on it. So um, that was kind of the price we paid. But we, we understood at the time that this was going to happen. And that was what we got out of it. And um, that was significant because the enteric uh, methane reduction, uh, the whole science behind it is, is completely um, brand new. So we do not know really how much methane's come, being produced from the cows and we don't know really how to reduce it. We know there are feed additives that we can feed that they're reduced it, but we're not sure how much. And we're not sure how much those feed out, if those feed additives are, are gonna have any other uh, health effects on the cows. So it was completely experimental at the time and uh, that's why we went neutral on it. And uh, here we are today, uh, we still have nine years left. And we believe that Western United that we are on track to meeting that 40% reduction of uh, manure of methane produced from our manure. But um, CARB, you know, they, they, they count things a little bit different. Their, their math seems to be a lot different. They just come out with a report saying that we are no, nowhere near on track to meeting this 40% uh, reduction by 2030. And when we dug into their numbers, uh, we can see why. 
because their numbers aren't accurate. They are counting the entire industry's methane production, including enteric, which right. we are not regulated on. We are not required in this state to reduce the, to, you know, we're not regulated on our, on our enteric methane production. So, uh, and also when you dig in further, when, the, when it comes to the industry reductions, CARB or ARB is only counting publicly funded digesters or AMP programs. Yeah. There are a ton, excuse me for, for just rolling on this, but there are a <laughs> ton of privately funded digesters that are not being uh, accounted for in our reduction. Well, and I think the good news is that we've like gotten fairly close. I think we're getting closer to 25 or 30% um, reductions at this point only on those publicly funded projects. And there's a ton of privately funded projects that have been going on in addition to that. I know in my area, folks have, who didn't get funded for AMP went ahead and did their own projects. I know that's happened um, in some cases in the Central Valley with both AMP projects and digesters. So there's like a really good story to tell here that CARB is just basically ignoring is what, we, what it boils down to. Yeah, here in Turlock, there's a privately funded uh, ethanol plant that is uh, installing a uh, spoke and hub um, system where they, they, I think there's probably five or six digesters in our area now that are uh, transporting the gas in a pipeline to the ethanol plant and they're using it for fuel. Um, and I don't know if that's being accounted because that's a privately funded project. Right, and so I think, I think what it kind of boils down to is like, bringing CARB up to speed and into the loop about what is actually going on out there. And we have great folks at UC Davis and um, as part of our cooperative extension that are like have these numbers and are working on them. And it just seems like they're kind of being just ignored or they're unknown at this point. So that's part I, of our I, job right I think now. It's, yeah, I think it's intentional. I think CARB wants to regulate us and they don't care if, if they uh, cook the books and, and use yeah. their own accounting system. I think they want to increase the amount of industries they can regulate, increase the amount of people they can hire, increase their budget, and and make themselves bigger and more powerful. Yeah. So, unfortunately, you know, in terms of keeping ARB off our dairies, the industry is the dairy industry is not united on this. Um, I think some processors see this as a marketing opportunity to market uh, to market, um, you know, methane neutral California dairy products. And, yeah. uh, and unfortunately, some of these processors are, are willing to cut a deal with CARB now. Here, here are nine years ahead of schedule. They're willing to make a deal. And we are not uh, at Western United. We are not ready to do that. Um, we see having this other you know, agency on our dairies affecting our day-to-day -day operations. It's, some, it's a non-starter. Um, yeah, it seems, it seems like that deal comes at the expense potentially of the health and safety of our cows or the product we're producing and our own pocketbooks. And, and that's kind of the hard pill to swallow if we really boil it down. There, the promises are being made on behalf of producers that are not realistic and that we can't keep. And the, about the only way we know possible now to reduce the enteric uh, methane production from a cow is through some feed additives yeah. but what we do not know is how much they reduce methane production how much they cost how much we're going to have to feed and where to even source these things yeah it's completely experimental it's unknown and we cannot accept a top-down regulatory body to 
assign us to figure all this out uh, without some more understanding of the economics, the health consequences, and and uh, how how this affects our cows. Um, we need more time on this, and we still have nine years. So let's uh, put the horse back in the barn here and give us some more time. Definitely. But um, <laughs> I, I kind of see this tying in with the national milk uh, campaign of net zero by 2050. I, uh, but there's a big difference. I mean, the national milk campaign is voluntary. And, yeah. and I do believe that the industry needs to get ahead of this issue. We need to be proactive. Um, but having having us being regulated by, by ARB by 2030, that's unacceptable in California because our competitors in other states will not be. Our cost productions could potentially skyrocket. You know, when I when I walk around with our nutritionists on our dairy, we're talking about production, we're talking about costs, we're talking about herd health, we're not talking about methane reduction. Um, to feed a high producing dairy cow, there's not a lot of extra room in the ration for for a couple pounds of Australian red kelp seaweed or whatever the heck or, or cilantro. So. Mm -hmm. uh, and those are about the two things I've heard of that, that can reduce uh, enteric uh, production from a cow. But we don't even know how much we have to feed and what kind of reduction we'll get. And, and what uh, other global impacts there are from growing or harvesting those products to feed our cows? I just feel like, and I think we've all talked about this in board meetings and on calls before, it just seems like you're right. We're putting the cart before the horse and when the horse just needs to be back in the barn at this yeah. point, <laughs> not to mix too many metaphors, but I yeah. think like it just, it's kind of a little bit mind boggling. And I think, I think as an industry, we do a disservice to our producers and more importantly, our consumers, if we don't fully research the products and fully know what the, what the climate implications are of, of, you know, maybe reducing methane, but maybe you know, causing a carbon issue from shipping or from, you know, growing products that, you know, we aren't already growing in mass, I guess. <laughs> the yeah, good that's news an excellent point. What's the net benefit? Um, so what if we lower our uh, methane emissions, but increase our carbon footprint by transporting all this product from halfway across the world or having yes. to farm, you know, some weird new product in place of corn silage or, or alfalfa or almonds? Um, and, and the, the amount of water some of these crops might take. Um, I'm sure red kelp seaweed takes quite a bit of, of water, and I highly doubt uh, the environmentalists are going to let us go out there in the ocean and harvest uh, kelp for, uh, you know, <laughs> so yeah. um, there's just so many unknowns, and, and to want to make a deal to, you know, basically to, to agree to figure this out, in, in, it's, it's just not acceptable. Um, we cannot allow this to happen and we still have time to meet our mandate by 2030. So let's give us some more time. There's plenty of tried and true methods that we can use like digesters and um, vacuum scraping and, and, uh, and separators that, that can reduce our methane um, emissions. And not only that, but have a, have a water uh, benefit too. Um, yeah. You know, to separate, uh, you know, working on our manure side of things that you get multiple benefits, not just one. Yeah, I know it's, it is frustrating. Like we have great projects with co-benefits out there that we're employing. And now we're looking at something that may have a lot of issues with it. We don't know that, but um, I think the good news is we are working really hard to make sure that nothing comes down the pipe that our members can't handle. 
we never know what could happen, but we have been in contact with the right people. We had ledge council look at this um, and, and ARB's interpretation of 1383 to make sure we're on the right track. And I do think we're, we're in a good position to make our case with ARB and with the state legislature if necessary. I think that's the, the good news we can give our members. Yeah, we are. We are on strong footing. This isn't just us saying no. We have strong numbers that support our, our position. Um, Paul Souza, our environmental expert, is, is right there with us, and he's one of the, one of the most knowledgeable guys in the state. Um, it just seems, I, I guess the frustrating part is that the industry is not united on this. And, yes. you know, I would, I would, as a producer, I would ask our processors, you know, a couple of questions here. You know, if ARB is on our place, are, are we going to have to pay a yearly uh, yearly permit? We have, an, we have an air board permit and a water board permit. Those cost tens of thousands of dollars every year. How much is the ARB permit going to cost? How often are inspections going to be? Are they going to be yearly inspections? Are, are they going to be monthly, weekly? Um, are we going to have to install monitoring devices to, to actually measure our methane production and our reduction? Um, I know they flew an airplane around about 50 dairies in, in the valley monitoring methane production off of them. Um, is that the way they're going to monitor our, our methane production? Because that's going to cost a lot of money. Um, and, and lastly, does it stop there? Yeah. It, I mean, regulatory bodies never stop there. They always add uh, more regulations. And, and with inspectors on our place, are they going to start regulating our tier zero tractors? I mean, we got 30 old tractors that, that we use. And, you know, when the inspector comes, are we going to have to go hide those? <laughs> uh, we can't afford new ones. So... Yeah, I, I would ask those questions. And, and, and lastly, you know, how much how much are these feed additives going to cost? How much are we going to have to feed and how much reduction are we going to get from them? These are some serious questions that have not been answered and they need to be answered before we even consider uh, negotiating with ARB. And, and I think a big question is where how does that cost get passed on? It certainly doesn't seem like in the past when these things have come up that a benefit to doing these things has come out of milk checks for producers. So if we can't see the cost getting passed on, it, 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 it's almost like, do, are you trying to put us out of business? Um, and that's what it feels like a lot of time. I don't, I really don't think that is their intention, but I think that's what it feels like because we, we don't get a benefit from the, the milk price. And, and that has to do with a lot of factors, markets and what's happening at the CME. And Tiffany just gave us a great market report earlier in the episode that brings all those factors together, but there's no money there to cover these costs either. So I think, I think when looking at the bottom line, which is what most dairymen have to do every day, it, it just plain doesn't pencil out. No, I, I, think, I think all dairymen know that when it comes to doing more um, being more environmentally responsible, um, being RBST free, uh, being, you know, whatever it is, it, it, it rarely comes from the market. Um, it always, the cost is always born on the producer. Yeah. And my concern is that these costs will not be borne by the producer in South Dakota, in Texas, in Idaho. Yeah. Only they are only going to be borne by the California producer. Um, is there a potential to, you know, uh, sell our milk products more for being net zero? Maybe, but let's do that on a voluntary basis, not, not with the ARB on our butts. So um, this has been, I don't know, this, this issue has been really keeping me up at night and, and 
it's frustrating to see the industry fractured as it is. And I'm extremely concerned that the average dairyman does not know that we are, we are at the crossroads here. And now is the time to speak up, to, to, to unite and, and, and get involved on this issue because, you know, the, the ship may sail and I hate to keep using these puns, but, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, there, there could be a time in, in the near future where, where we can't come back from that. So we, we yeah. have to at least know what's going on right now. Absolutely. And I think we're doing a good job of getting the word out. We're going to be having some meetings. Um, we thought we were opening up a little and having some more in-person meetings, but I don't know, we're kind of holding the phone a little bit and seeing what this Delta variant does and if it's safe to get out and co-mingle with producers. But we will be having a roadshow at some point in the fall or winter, talking to producers about this and a variety of other topics. But you know, I talked to Paul earlier on another subject today um, and, and really call us, ask us questions. You're available, Devin. Our staff yep. is always available. Um, but, but really, I, we really want to encourage dairymen to wrap their heads around this stuff and really know what's coming your way. And I know it's hard. You guys are busy, busy, especially this time of year, but it seems like all times of year now. And maybe just having the brain space to digest stuff like this is, isn't easy, but it's really important if you want to be in business in this state over the next 10 years. Yeah, I know most guys are are hyper-focused on water and water availability. Um, And it's unfortunate that we have this other crisis coming down on us too. Um, But, but that's the the state we live in. We have multiple large scale crises going on multiple times at the same time. So yeah. um, Yeah. I I don't want to be throwing this burden on on our producer. I wish that Western United could just shoulder this and we and the board can do our job and, and work on the background, but it's, it's leaked past that with, with the fracture of the industry that we need everybody to know about what's going on. And I've, I've asked Anya to keep this in our updates, you know, several times a month to keep this thing in, in the news, in the print to, to, to get as many dairymen talking about it as possible, because I fear that the first time they hear about it, it's going to be the deals already going to be made. I'm I'm afraid of that too. So I think, I think it's a good point. And as you're listening to this, when you're out visiting with your fellow dairymen and, and, you know, doing all the things we're doing this summer, please make sure you're having these conversations. And we think it's so important for, um, for you guys to be talking about this and then asking us questions when you have them. Yeah. I mean, I would talk to your, your, uh, your processors field rep and, uh, ask them what's going on, ask them if they know about this and, and see where their position is. Definitely. Definitely. Well, thanks, Devin. This is a little bit of a heavy topic, but it's so important and we will definitely have you back. We appreciate you taking the time today and on Monday for the update. And uh, thanks again for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I'm very passionate about this issue because it it just needs to be out there. So uh, thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, stay engaged. Thanks, Devin. Did you know that you can turn your dairy manure into cash? Bennett Environmental is offering above-ground dairy digesters at no cost to you. These systems can also remove nitrates from your lagoons to help you comply with water board regulations. Our proven above-ground technology will generate income for your dairy into the foreseeable future. Because we truck the renewable natural gas off-site, your dairy can profit regardless of your location. Bennett Environmental, turning your wastewater liabilities into sustainable assets. Learn more at bennett-environmental.com.
Thanks again for joining us today, and special thanks to Tiffany LaMandola, Paul Souza, and Devin Gialetti, and all of our generous sponsors for making today's episode possible. We'd love your feedback on the podcast. Please reach out with comments, questions, and content requests via email to mlema at wudairies.com, darby at wudairies.com, or always feel free to call our office at 209-527-6453. We'd also love it if you could rate, review, and subscribe to Seen and Heard on your favorite listening platform. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks, and have a great weekend, everyone. While West United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, please know that views expressed on Seen and Heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the West United Dairies Board of Directors. Thank you to Western United Dairies' generous business sponsors, Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, Farm Credit Alliance, FNR Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, Bennett Environmental, PG&E, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at wudairies.com. That's info at wuda I-R-I-E-S dot com.